Hello, everybody, and welcome into the MVP Radio Show here on November 1st, 2020. And it is Sunday, leading you into NFL Week 8. I'm John Vicari, joined alongside by Dan Pizzanti. And Dan, we don't have our other co-host, Brendan A. Miller, nowhere to be found on the uh, this recording, which is Halloween. Probably trick-or-treating, I would say, uh, a bit early. Would be- I was just gonna- yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's getting a, a head start on um, uh, some candy tonight, and uh, I hope that goes well for him. <laughs> so do I. All right, so we'll start where I think the biggest news of the week has been in terms of in New York sports. And, of course, like every week, I think it's 2020. It's been eventful, uh, to say the least. But there was a lot of flip-flop in terms of the Mets' purchase and finally, it's been solidified after, I believe, nine months of the first reported uh, – f- when it was first reported that Steve Cohen might have interest in buying the New York Mets, uh, it is finally – or at least what we know has finally been solidified. The MLB owners and the city of New York, more importantly, have approved Steve Cohen to buy and purchase the Mets. And it was interesting because I think it was on Wednesday it was – Uh, reported that Bill de Blasio, who is the mayor of New York, was going to or did call Rob Manfred, uh, the commissioner of baseball, and, you know, wanted to do his due diligence, but called because he wasn't sure if he wanted Steve Steve Cohen to buy the Mets because he's not a great influence and this and that. And uh, then shortly after the owners uh, approved of Steve Cohen buying the Mets on Friday, Bill de Blasio sent out a tweet and agreed that, uh, you know, yes, Steve Cohen could buy the Mets. But And thank goodness, Dan, because, you know, I'm not going to go off too much on Bill de Blasio because he actually did, you know, the right thing. But for him to stand on any moral high ground and say, oh, Steve Cohen did this corrupt in his business, this and that. Like, come on, bro. You know, I, I mean, if you were this saintly mayor or, you know, didn't have anything corrupt, and this is not maybe political either. Everyone hates this dude. This is, this is not a, uh, you know... I know we have an election coming up in two days, but this is not me trying to be political or politicize our sports show. He's not liked anywhere, okay? And this is not helping his case either. And I, I respect him having to do his due diligence, quote-unquote, because it is city-owned uh, land. But to the only reason that you're doing your due diligence is because you're unsure about Steve Cohen's morals or this and that is, is laughable. Because you know what? I'm not going to say Steve Cohen has the best morals either, but – for you to be the one that's doing the checks and balances for that is pretty dumb, in my opinion. But luckily for New York Mets fans, uh, the purchase has has gone through. Yeah, and, you know, I don't live in the city, but I know that everyone in the city cannot stand Bill de Blasio. It's just like common knowledge. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for him to do that, I agree. It, it just kind of seemed like him just letting everyone know, like, hey, I'm not going to do this. But if I wanted to, I could block the sale. And that's really like, you know, if he's going to try and spin this for political gain, that's, you know, I would say typical of maybe any politician. But again, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Um, instead, I will say so happy for all the Met fans out there that, um, uh, you know, he has made quotes that he wants to make the Mets an East Coast juggernaut. Um, uh, in our group chat we have with some Park students, someone sent in a picture of LeBron James in a Mets uniform. And um, uh, I think that that was really... Um, it captured the moment really well that maybe these are now the expectations for the Mets. Um, at least what the fans are hoping will be the expectations moving forward. And um, the fact that the sale went through, I'm happy for Mets fans, you know, that they can maybe finally have a winner 
in New York. And um, the, the fact that the sale went through, though, was huge. And that was definitely something to celebrate for baseball in New York. Absolutely. And now the expectations, like you mentioned, are going to be lofty with Steve Cohen. The two ownership groups that were going for the Mets were a group led by Steve Cohen, who won, and by Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez, believe it or not, who uh, pretty much finished in second. And I think there was a lot of uh, hesitation with maybe having Aaron Jayla buy just because of, you know, how Aaron Jayla would spend the money. Not that they didn't have the money to obviously acquire the Mets and then do something with it, but they weren't, they wouldn't have been as free flowing with their money as Steve Cohen. And I, I agree with that. And looking at Cohen and just, you know, doing research on him, he's now the richest owner in major league baseball by like 10 billion or something. He's the only one in double digits billion in terms of like value or net worth or however they make this determination. So he's going to have money to spend, which should make Mets fans happy. Also from his business dealings, he's very ruthless. He doesn't like to lose. I'm not saying he's going to be a public persona like George Steinbrenner of yesteryear, but I don't think this is a guy that's going to, you know, not, I wouldn't say allow, but he's not going to be satisfied with a third place vision uh, finish in the national league East. This is a guy who's going to want to win year in and year out and money only gets you so far in my opinion, but the fact that Mets can now compete at this level is huge for them. You know, they'll be able to at least make You know, they still may not be able to, to get to these certain players, but they'll be able to make offers for a George Springer this year in free agency, maybe getting Corey, uh, Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer in free agency coming up. You know, like the fact that they have this cash to, to play with and to throw around is great. And, you know, as a Yankee fan, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not screaming off rooftops for my excitement, obviously, but it will be very enjoyable the next couple of years where both New York baseball teams could be competitive. And it'll, you know, it'll be a baseball town when maybe, it won't be a basketball town due to, you know, just how at uh, least the Knicks are in New York. So at least they'll return to a full on baseball town, in my opinion. That, that'll be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, for a team with the Mets who have some talent right now with Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil and different guys on the team that show some potential um, to know that there's now a guy who really, really wants to win and is going to be looking to add pieces to what the team already has. Um, is really good news and you know I, I, for my own personal fandom um, I, I saw the Red Sox ship just approaching like some some rough waters a few years ago and I'm uh, you know I've been leaning Mets for a few years so I kind of just jumped off right now I'm just kind of floating around I haven't really uh, you know joined another team yet but now that the Mets are doing well um, I think you'll see more than just one person I'm um, uh, fully commit. yeah I'm about to say you have to make a determination very soon yeah, because I, I can't blame because you haven't been full on Red Sox. And when they won the World Series, you weren't. So you, I can't call you a bandwagon. Yeah. But if the Mets are in first place in June and you're like, I'm a Mets fan, it's going to be a little fraud. So you definitely definitely have to make a determination before the season. But yes. So there you go. And I, you know, I was expecting, I honestly, fully honest, I was expecting this Cohen purchase not to be finalized by the time of this recording and when the show is airing on Sunday morning. But it is. And the Mets have a new owner, and it will be interesting as the winter meetings approach in December. All right, now staying with baseball, because believe it or not, there was there was a World Series that culminated uh, this past week, and it wasn't like any other World Series. And I guess you could have said that no matter what, because we, you know, it was played through COVID and uh, 25% capacity crowd and this and that. But in game six, 
the big storylines were Blake Snell wheeling and dealing, trying to force a game seven for Tampa Bay. Pulled in the fifth inning after allowing his second hit uh, by manager Kevin Cash of the Rays. And then from there, and they were up one nothing by the way. And then from there, Mookie Betts got on, scored, had an RBI as well. And the Dodgers finished off the Rays with a 3-1 to victory. Randy Rosarina did homer in that game and had an unbelievable postseason in which he hit 10 home runs. And the, uh, yeah, the Dodgers won the World Series. And it was great, I think, for Clayton Kershaw to finally get a World Series victory. And it was cool to just see his reaction. And uh, not, not that, you know, he's one of my favorite players or anything, but he's a guy, I think, around baseball that a lot of people wanted for him to get a championship and it was that you know that signature moment in his career where he's you know not hit expectations in the postseason uh thus far I think his best postseason start was 2017 game one of the world series before uh this world series and that obviously was a seven game loss to the Astros which now looking back uh, with that Astros cheating scandal may be viewed differently but uh they did on paper at least uh lose that world series in the record books but yeah so Kershaw finally got his but that wasn't the takeaway after the game, or at least uh, like an hour and a half after the game, I should say, because the Dodgers celebrated and like the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning and the NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers, they all jumped on top of each other. You know, hats and T-shirts were worn, this and that. It, it wasn't socially distant, but hey, you know, these players have been around each other for a long time, for all season. I mean, for all intents and purposes. Uh and there was no, you know, COVID positives, obviously. Until after they go to commercial break, Kevin Burkhardt comes back on the air and says, breaking news, Justin Turner tested positive for COVID. And there's multiple elements, Dan, of this that we could break down. The first one being not so much how did Turner get COVID because we know, you know, in this, in this world, uh, not that the odds are likely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for someone to get COVID. The bigger question is, how did he play in the World Series with COVID? How was the test not rapid in the morning or afternoon whenever they do their tests and he wasn't sent home immediately? How was there this wait period? And for the first test to come back, ah, we don't know. And then that second test uh, to come back mid-game and for then the Dodgers to have to pull Turner mid-game. I don't know how that happens. And then secondly, okay, this happens. Dodgers are still celebrating. Everyone knows this. He even sends out a tweet that, hey, you know, wish I could be there with the team, this and that. I'm going through all the emotions pretty much that you could imagine with, hey, we're World Series champs, but I can't be out there. Besides, you know what? Hey, I'll go out there. (laughs) Might as well. I mean, it's the only, you know, not to say it's the only World Series he's going to win, but this is the first World Series in Turner's that he has won. So, hey, I'll go out there. Fox cameras are on me. I'll kiss my wife on the mouth. You know. Uh, just the normal stuff. And then the, 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 the cream on top of the cake, however you want to put it, he decides to take a group photo without his mask. And now I understand that's what the team was doing, but like that, you know, I think even if you put the mask on, you look back years in history, everyone jokes around. Oh yeah. Cause Turner got COVID during it. It wouldn't have been a big deal if you, but he removes his mask. He removes his mask, and luckily, I guess he was in the front row and not in the middle of the team photo, so he was sort of placed in a position where maybe, uh, you know, there would be less COVID expo- exposure, I guess. I don't even know why I'm defending it, but maybe less. 
And obviously to this recording, there hasn't been a Dodger or someone in the Dodgers organization, to my knowledge, that has tested positive uh, so far, so far being the key word. But what are you doing, man? This is just bad optics. There's cameras. It's the World Series. Fox has got it covered from all perspectives. There's reporters still in the press box. There's reporters in the locker room. There's, there's fans there, too. There's actual people with their phones. What are you doing? It was craziness, and it was a failure on baseball's part, not correctly testing them for COVID, and, or at least Turner in this case, and letting him play. And it's a failure on Turner's part, not realizing that he was jeopardizing other people. But, you know, the players said afterwards on the Dodgers that, hey, we wanted him out there and, uh, you know, that they were fine with it for the most part. I don't think any Dodger came out and said, yeah, I didn't like that he jeopardized my safety. You know, and this is a clubhouse guy everyone loves, and I understand that. But, Dan, just not great optics. No, and I don't want to be sitting here talking about how disappointed I am the Dodgers. I want to be sitting here talking about, wow, you know, they finally got it done. (laughs) They made it and couldn't beat the Astros, couldn't beat the Sox, whoever. Hey, they got it done. No, we can't do that because Justin Turner had to go and do this. I mean, it's, it's so incredibly irresponsible to do something like that. And I know that maybe he'll defend it with, oh, I've, I never won a World Series before. I don't care. I don't care you never won a World Series. No one else should care that you never won a World Series. You put all of those people at risk running out there and celebrating. And that is, that is really selfish. And that is really dangerous. Now, I watched on a, I, I very rarely ever disagree with Tony and Mike Wilbon and PTI. I watch that show all the time. And those guys said that they think there should be a sliding scale of punishment. If no one gets the virus, then no punishment if someone does a little bit. How, but I, for the first, for not the first time, but I was like, I, I can't, I don't understand how you could defend that, guys. You know, because, all right, so nothing happened this time. Well, if the players go, there's going to be a sliding scale, then all right, let, let's let's roll the dice. Maybe no one will get it. Um, you, you cannot do things like that. And I, I unfortunately, I think it mirrors um, how a lot of people feel about this virus in this country. Just the fact that, hey, if it happens, it happens. And uh, that's really dangerous for something that's killed over 200,000 Americans for Justin Turner to run out there, take off his mask, and just start celebrating with people. Um, It's irresponsible. It's dangerous. And I'm upset because it really, really ruined the whole World Series, post-World Series atmosphere for myself. You know, like I said, I don't want to be talking about this, but uh, like you said, it's not a good look. You said that a tweet. I just want to get your thoughts because you said it ruined the World Series for me. You still feel that way that it did for the most part? I think it's definitely a blemish for me. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think in the moment I was really upset and I yeah. said that. And I, I still do agree that it did hurt the World Series, but like, uh, it, it really, really is not a good look um, for the MLB. And yeah, I think in that moment, definitely felt yeah. that way. No, it's, I just wanted to, you know, double check because, but I, literally it's really a game of optics i think you're right and and maybe we're viewing this differently if he kept his mask on and still celebrated and hey not that it would have been celebrated by any means because i you know still it's not not the best not the best way of going about it you could have just been even more safe by staying in but at least hey he's wearing his mask he's taking it seriously this and that uh again just bad optics it's not a great look for major league baseball and luckily luckily for them two things one again up to this point as we know, no COVID tests within the Dodgers or uh, no positive COVID uh, tests and anyone with COVID in the Dodgers organization. And secondly, there wasn't a game seven because say the Dodgers lost this game and the Tampa Bay Rays came back. 
would we have had to wait two weeks for a game seven? And then the World Series, not because of, oh, COVID, COVID, this and that, but just in terms of the games weren't playing in this certain order, just ruins it because a game seven, two weeks away would have probably every team at full strength, all the pitchers. And then, you know, I think it would have made for an epic game in terms of, you know, maybe each out the Rays would have used a different pitcher. They would use 27 different pitchers or something like that. But literally the, uh, you know, it would have, the World Series would have, I don't think, withstand or people wouldn't have viewed it as such because, uh, you know, you, you couldn't have, you couldn't have done that. You couldn't have played a game seven, two weeks after game six. It just wouldn't have worked. And, you know, this was even a season, which I think people have viewed, uh, viewed going in that, uh, there's an asterisk next to this world series. And then after the season played out, they're sort of a little, uh, you know, it's, it's still debated whether or not this should be considered a, uh, you know, a legitimate world series championship. i view it as such but you know there's still some determination but if that game seven was two weeks in the uh in the future and we were uh, breaking uh down a potential game seven and i don't know mid-november it wouldn't mean the same thing yeah i mean talk about a disaster in that case that would have been huge that would have been <laughs> awful for the mlb um yeah i would say just as bad as what's going on now you know um that would have been really really ridiculous um but you know it did finish and, uh, you know, as far as legitimacy, I think with the NBA title, a lot of players expressed that this was legitimate. And if that's how the players feel, that, that's how I feel. I feel if the MLB players um, also feel that way, then, you know, that's how I feel. If they feel like they went through an entire season, I mean, it was it was crazy. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was an MLB season, as short as it was. And, I, and, you know, I think people could make the argument, maybe for Dodger fans, that they would have won it even if it was 162. I think that's really insane. But, I mean, well, not insane, but that's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I would, in, in long, <laughs> I, I would agree that that's a legitimate uh, World Series. Yep. And for the 2021 World Series, odds already out. Dodgers are the favorites to win back-to-back championships and the Yankees the best odds in the American League. Now we shift to the NFL, and we won't spend too much time on this. We definitely want to give you our Game of the Week lock and upsets picks, which we do each and every Sunday here on VIC Radio. But uh, the New York teams, you know, <laughs> something we'll always talk about. Uh, a storyline with each this week for the Giants and Tampa Bay game, which is on Monday night. There was a COVID test for the New York Giants. Will Hernandez has COVID-19. He's an offensive lineman. Eight offensive linemen had to sit out on practice on Thursday. As of right now, as of this recording, no other COVID uh, cases within the Giants organization. And Hernandez will not play on Sunday. For the Jets, they... Uh, <laughs> They're, they're heavily, heavily underdog this week. They are a 19-and-a-half-point uh, underdogs. And last time it was that big of a spread was New England versus Miami in that almost perfect New England season. Who ruined that season? New York Giants. And for the Buffalo Bills, they played the New England Patriots, the New England Patriots that look very shaky. And uh, we'll see if Cam Newton is in the saddle. But some worry for the Bills, Dan, and that's where we'll start on this local segment. After last week in which they kicked their way, literally, to a victory against the New York Jets, are you concerned about your Buffalo Bills or was it just a week in which, hey, things didn't fall your way, the Jets defense played really good in the red zone, and because of the unique games uh, situations the previous two weeks in which you played on a Monday night and a Tuesday, uh, it was just, you know, it just came back for Buffalo and they weren't physically set and it was just, hey, uh, you know, a – just a, I guess a flash in the pan, like a, a week in which uh, there was a lapse, but they still won because they played the Jets. 
I have a feeling this New England game is going to be like that scene in Rocky where Rocky and Apollo Creed are both really tired and they both like sucker punch each other at the same exact time and they both fall over and it's mm-hmm. going to be whoever like gets up first <laughs> because both of the teams are, are just struggling right now. I mean, the Bills did not get in the end zone against the New York Jets, um, a team that in the second half had four yards of offense. <laughs> could not get in the end zone. Um, I mean, I've, I've already said that I, I think the Bills are on the second tier in the AFC. You know, the first one has them, uh, the Titans and the Chiefs, and uh, below them, the Bills are right there. Um, but I, I was hoping that that second tier was a little bit closer to the first than, like, the lower um, because I mean, to not get in the end zone against the Jets is um uh, is sad, quite honestly, <laughs> sad, frustrating, yeah. um uh, you know, unacceptable. Um, I think this game is going to be tough for that reason for Buffalo. They have to get back on track. Um, luckily for the Bills, the Patriots are not the normal Patriots. You know, with uh, uh, Cam Newton is really struggling, and uh, they're just they're not the New England Patriots that the Bills have been playing for the last twenty years. So that does give myself and many Bills fans, I'm sure, a lot of hope. I think this game is going to be really close. I think it's a lot closer than it really should be because I think Buffalo has shown that they are a good football team. They're just not playing like it right now. I hope they can get back on track and play like the team we saw earlier this season. Then I think they'll, they'll handle the Patriots. But again, which team are we going to get this Sunday uh, is the question. By the way, I would love for my team to be struggling at 5-2, and two, just so you know. But yeah, no, the Bills definitely looking to get back on track. And again, they will play the New England Patriots 1 p.m. And luckily for the Bills, they are at Bills Stadium, by the way. Do they have a name for that yet? I think it's still Bills Stadium. Yeah. I was, you know, Wegman Stadium. That's got to be the Taco Stadium. Yeah. Uh, no, no, the Bills Stadium. I mean, whatever. I mean, I guess it's accurate, you know. And maybe Aaron J-Lo will uh, buy the naming rights since they didn't buy the Mets. We'll Aaron Stadium. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. All right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, there's a Bills breakdown. And not much. Usually I have, I guess, a lot to say about the, uh, you know, the Giants and Jets. But for the Giants, I I don't, you know, there's limited ways in which I think they could get a victory against the Tampa Bay Bay. Oh, Tampa Bay Bay. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think it's going to be having to step up on third down conversions because Tampa uh, converts third downs on a for a very high rate which i believe is second in the nfl at doing so while the giants can't get off the field in third down situations and then for the jets uh maybe they cover i don't know it's it's an interesting game we'll break it down more on the youtube show that follows us here on vic but you know 19 and a half always just looks too big you know like oh my gosh what is this a college game is this uh you know is, is penn state playing chad Nugler or something but i mean well, it's the Jets. So it's the Jets versus Patrick Mahomes, and they are in Kansas City. So, you know, are they are they really going to lose by less than three touchdowns? I, you know, that 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 one's definitely difficult. We'll have again a full breakdown, but just wanted to give a, a couple a couple quick thoughts, I should say, on New York football. And really, I gave the Bills the most time because they deserve the most time because they're the only team with the winning record and more than two wins in on the season, which enters Week Eight. And now for week eight, we'll give our game of the week locks and upset picks. Again, Brendan not here, so we do not have his picks and even more of a, uh, you know, uh, I guess a segue or a promotion for our YouTube show because he'll give his picks there. But we'll start with the game of the week, Dan. And the game of the week, I think, had to be this game. It is in the one o'clock slot. 
and that's Steelers versus Ravens. Baltimore, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, come in with one loss in the season, and Pittsburgh Steelers come in undefeated, only undefeated team in football. Steelers 6-0, and Ravens are 5-1, and and the Steelers are undefeated on the road this year, and they will head to m Bank Stadium to play the Ravens, and you have the home team in this one. You're picking Baltimore. I have Baltimore almost solely because the Steelers haven't lost yet, and I think at some point um, they have to. But um, it's going to be a close game. I'm surprised, honestly, it's not a pickup. I mean, this is these are really good teams uh, in the AFC. Um, I just did some a little bit of Google research, like I tried to, and John Harbaugh leads Mike Tomlin in their all-time series, 13 to 11. Now these guys have played each other. What is that? 24 times since mm-hmm. 2008. That is a ton. Those guys have been head coach of those teams for a long time, and um, they they always play each other tough. So uh, it should be a close one. Right now I have the Ravens. Yeah, I'm going different. I'm picking the Steelers. And up to last week, I probably would have picked the Ravens. But the Steelers impressed me last week. And I know they almost blew uh, the lead versus Tennessee. But they came out right away and just beat a physical team in the Titans because that's what they do with the their running game. And they just surprised them right away. And I, you know, that showed me a lot. Again, maybe they need to finish a little better. But if they can get off to that start in Baltimore, a team that doesn't have vertical threats and is based on the ground like Tennessee is. I think that favors Pittsburgh, but a, a good start will be key for Pittsburgh if they want to win. Again, I agree, Dan. It should be like – it's a surprise Baltimore three and a half. It easily could be a pick em. Definitely going to be the game of the week to watch. That's why we made that determination, and we view it differently. Uh, our game of the week rank uh, standings, I'm five and two, and you're four and three in game of the week picks. So we've had success picking them, and those – our picks now a little interesting as we go into locks and upsets and i want to start with upsets because there isn't a lot of upset candidates out there i don't even feel that confident in my upset pick we are uh i'm three and four on the year in upsets you're two and five and you could start you're you know i can't even knock this upset pick because again i'm not confident in mine but you're looking at the 425 window and a pivotal nfc west matchup yeah, right now I have the Niners upsetting the Seahawks. Seahawks are favored uh, by three, uh, but I would have to agree. I mean, there's no, like, that's the upset this week, you know, game this week um, as far as the spread goes and the schedule goes. Um, there should be a lot of close ones, and the Niners are a good team. Um, I feel like they're going to beat the Seahawks this week. So, again, not I am a, hey, go pick this game, guys, but uh, that's what I got. <laughs> Yeah, and I looked at this slate of games, and I felt the same. And I'm going with an interesting one, Colts versus Lions. Look, the Lions are at home. They're underdogs by two and a half points. And the Colts are coming off a bye, which I usually don't pick against teams, uh, you know, coming off a bye because they have an extra week of preparation. But I like the Lions last week. They showed versus Atlanta that they could, you know, score uh, – Right away, you know, a quick uh, two-minute drill by Matt Stafford. He's one of the best guys to have in a situation in which a game is down to the wire. And I think that this Colts line game will come down to the wire, and I'll favor Matthew Stafford in that situation. So I have the Lions as my upset pick. And now finally, we give our locks. And locks have been locks for you this season, Dan. Six and one. I'm three and four with my locks. So there you go. But uh, I'll start. And I have the Chargers over the Broncos. This is a four o'clock game. And one of the reasons I'm picking the Chargers, they are on the road in Denver, which, you know, usually is a tough place to play. But 
unlike last week in Denver, it's not snowing. It's uh, it's going to be a sunny day. It's, it's not going to be the warmest of days in Denver, but it's not going to it's not snowing. So Justin Herbert will be ever be able to throw the ball around. I don't think the Broncos have enough offensively to keep up. I think the Chargers D line is going to step up against a Broncos run game, and that's why I am taking the Los Angeles Chargers as my lock of the week for Week Eight. Dan, your lock. Um, I have the Packers over the Vikings. Ah. The Packers are favored by six points at home. I mean, let's face it, kids. Uh, the Packers have direct TV and the Vikings have cable. Um, the Packers are five and one. The Vikings are one and five. Um, I think they should take care of them in this NFC North matchup. Great, great meta. Uh, what was a great old commercial you're referencing there? Yeah. Was, uh, I haven't heard that in a while, but there you go. It'd be it'd be better than uh, what most of the commercials have nowadays. The, the AT&T commercial still annoys me, but <laughs> <laughs> that's besides the point. And that does it for MVP radio show today on November 1st. But if you're listening to this live on VIC radio, head over to at the MVP show on Twitter. From there, you'll get a YouTube link and you can watch an hour pregame show with myself, Dan and Brennan breaking down NFL week eight. A lot of baseball stuff in which you broke down on this podcast and much more. So go over there. For Dan Basante, I'm John Vicari. This was the MVP show.